F-U-M-I-C, based on real life, for the most part. And just for the effing record, I love New York. Wakey, wakey. Ma'am. Ma'am. Wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey. Shit. I had fallen asleep in a yellow cab. My first yellow cab. And in the process broken rule number two in the safety manual, New York Public Transportation for Dummies. The first rule, you never fall asleep on the subway. Oh, oh, sorry about that. I tried to get myself together. The cab driver was staring at me in the rearview mirror. No problem, ma'am. You're talking your sleep, you know. And fart. Well, that's embarrassing. But I guess I don't have to see him again. I started rifling in my purse to pay the asshole. I had 60 bucks in it. 45 for this golden chariot and another 15 to eat for however long it would take me to find some work. Here we go. Yeah, this ain't enough. I'm sorry? It's a flat fee with a bit of a tip. And tolls. Tolls? Yeah, when you were dreaming about Tom Cruise and muttering something in your sleep about fixing you a cocktail, we drove through six tolls. It's another 30 bucks to the fare. Are you serious? Yeah, you ordered a mojito because apparently you're fatter than Carrie Bradshaw. Whatever that is. Well, there's a lot of sugar in a mojito, so that may not be the best option. I meant about... Tolls, right. Yeah, sorry, lady. I don't make the rules. So pay up and get out. 30 bloody bucks? Are you kidding me? I don't even have that. Listen, I don't have that money. I'm sorry. Oh, well. Guess I'll call the cops and we can go from there. The cab driver reached for his phone. If he called the cops, I would be in violation of my visa. And in other words, deported. Is there any way I can take your number and pay you as soon as I have it? I'm super honest. You know where I live. Shitballs. Maybe you didn't know this was where I live. I could have been staying with a friend. Ugh, there goes my get-out-of-jail-free card. This ain't a layaway type of thing. Pay up and get out or I'm dialing 911. Don't cry, Holly. Whatever you do, don't cry. But I don't have... Nice watch. (sighs) I took a deep breath and looked down at the watch on my wrist. I hadn't even set it to the new time zone yet. It'd be my grandmother's, the only kind mother figure I'd known in life. I liked feeling as if she was on this journey with me, looking after me, and the watch reinforced those feelings of comfort. And before I could even think twice about it, I had given my watch to the driver. I pulled down the lever and opened the cab door. I was ready to put this nightmare behind me and hit the ground running. As I was about to place a red belly pump style shoe, yes, red in honor of Dorothy, I noticed something white and soft on the ground. It gently fluttered in the wind. It was a pigeon? A dead pigeon. I recoiled and I felt sad. This wasn't what I was supposed to be feeling right before I buzzed up to my new home. The pigeon looked peaceful, helpless, and beautiful. The feathers were mostly white with a few that had specks of black and grey that were around its beak. I had never seen a dead pigeon before. As kamikaze as they seem, they somehow managed to remove themselves from danger at the very last second. I couldn't help but wonder why it hadn't flown away. Perhaps it loved New York so much, it wanted to die here. Welcome to FUNYC, an IDC production, starring Emily Eden, written and created by Emily Eden. Sound design and engineering by Lewis Fisher. Executive producer, Marcy Gilbert. Co-created, produced, and directed by Eric Wickstrom. 
I struck her with all the force I had to give with the shovel. Her head made this loud crack, similar to that of a boiled egg. A shatter, you may say. She fell to the cold, dark floor. Then having observed her and her spilling blood like ruddy yolk for a while, I decided to bury her. I paused for a moment, staring hard at the floor, <coughs> playing guilt. Then after a few seconds longer, you know, for dramatic effect, I looked up. Everyone in the room looked pretty uncomfortable. The bald man behind the table pushed his red-rimmed glasses up his nose. Thanks for coming in. The rest of the production team remained silent. A woman scrunched her nose up at my resume. The man next to her was looking at me, squinting and scowling. I could tell that they all wanted me to exit the room as quickly as possible. They were hoping for something more light-hearted from the next person coming in. Ugh, I knew I should have pushed the bosoms up and done my Moliere piece. This monologue was clearly too grim. Thank you so much for your time. I gave a fake smile as I left the room. I couldn't help but think about the first time I'd performed this monologue. It was for my first year exam play at acting school. My acting teacher had the same response that the production team had just had to it. I had discovered the only way to get long-term entry into the United States other than a marriage of convenience, which had almost happened with a guy called Keith, was by coming to school and getting a student visa. Keith and I had met online in a WWE fans chat room. We connected by way of mutual love for Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake and the Hardy Boys. He was from Ohio and suffered with chronic halitosis. I couldn't quite bring myself to go through with our marriage, so I auditioned for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts instead. Lucky for me, and unlucky for Keith, I was accepted into the school's program with a pretty decent scholarship. I was coming to America! Ah, oh, I had always longed to try to make it in America. I'd always felt it was my destiny. I am unsure as to why I decided to leave my amazing and supportive friends, my London agent and my job as a plus-size underwear model, which was actually pretty fun and involved a never-ending supply of free over-the-shoulder boulder holders. Tolkien wrote, Not all those who wonder are lost. Well, even though I have been in this city for a couple of years, I still get lost. Especially when I leave one of these indie audition studios and find myself in the middle of Times Square. Somewhere. Photo! Photo! Miss! Miss! Don't bloody touch me! God! Take of it! Blimey! I yelled at Minnie Mouse! Minnie Mouse had just accosted me and grabbed me by the waist. Oh, I gritted my teeth and barged through Minnie and her pals, which included an anorexic-looking cookie monster, a sinister-looking Elmo, and a five-foot big bird who looked like he had contracted bird flu. A nightmare on Sesame Street. Like any New Yorker would, I held my body strong as I continued walking through them. I paused and looked back just in time to watch Minnie remove her head and tuck it under her arm. The sweaty bearded man underneath took a hit of his vape and scratched his crotch using his oversized stuffed mouse hand. Typical New York. Even Minnie Mouse was a pervert in a suit. The thing about New York City is when you visit for a holiday or first move here, you arrive with so much excitement. Everything appears fucking fabulous. You are awestruck by the bright lights of Times Square. You thrive off of the energy from the copious amounts of inhabitants taking to the streets at all hours. You don't notice the dark parts. You'll stand and pose in front of some street art to create a colourful photo for your dating profile pic and ignore the man pissing up the wall just three feet to your left. Hey, 
You see opportunity everywhere, as opposed to the truth, the smut. At some point, you'll find those designer shoes for a bargain price. You'll have a never-ending rotation of hot dates for the weekends. You will land that dream job you have always wanted. And this will result in you falling more in love with the life that you are living in New York City, the best city in the world. Ah, oh, just being able to call it home fills you with pride and you can't help but feel a sense of accomplishment. You fucking live here, the toughest yet coolest city in the world. More movies are set here than any other city in the world for a reason. You move here full of optimism. You keep holding on to the rope that is hope and you start to believe anything is possible. You can get everything you want. But the reality is, at some point, you simply run out of rope. I was so annoyed about being groped by a mouse man in a polka dot skirt that I decided I needed a cup of tea before heading home. I saw an orange coffee shop and headed towards it. As I sat drinking my tea, I contemplated my audition and tried to decide why I tanked. I was sure I'd performed it truthfully. Maybe too truthfully? Hmm. I remember when I'd performed the piece at school, my acting teacher, Mr. Peterson, had been pretty appalled too. Okay, well, that was interesting. Very realistic. A little too realistic, to be honest with you. Actually, I saw my neighbor's dead decomposing body this morning before I left for school, so I was finding the truth in the monologue. I wasn't boasting about my performance. I was just simply trying to explain my choices. Really? Okay, then. I could tell he was wishing I hadn't said anything at all. I think he much preferred our conversations of all things brick culture, like Faulty Towers or Downton Abbey. Oh, he loved discussing Lady Mary and ugly Edith. Poor Edith. This was the first time I'd ever seen Mr. Peterson lost for words. He was the cool, liberal teacher with an unmatched wit. Everybody loved him. The man who once called my name in the class register and had stated loud enough for all to hear, Holly Hudson? Sounds like a porn star's name. To which I had then retorted loud enough for all to also hear, Oh, how do you think I'm paying my tuition? <gasps> of course I didn't do porn to pay the rest of my tuition fees. I'm sure I considered it at some point. Yep. I love the city so much I contemplated becoming a hooker, or escort as I'd been trying to talk myself into calling it, just seemed classier. In the end, I couldn't bring myself to meet up with any other Weinstein impersonators much to the rumbling protests of my stomach some nights. Oh, and I did almost become a Playboy bunny. I was going to join their Texas division of Playmates. Texas. Ah, that reminds me, my first apartment in New York. The home that will always remind me of death and fat naked men. Oh, and Texas, apparently. My first home was on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, also known as Spanish Harlem, depending how fancy or potentially woke you were trying to sound. The apartment itself was pretty decent for a student home. It was a three-bedroom space with a large living area between Fifth and Madison. It had light-colored wooden floors, and in spite of only having one window at the end of the living room, the apartment always felt bright and airy. I shared this spot with a couple of spoiled rich kids who probably could have afforded the $3,000 per month student halls but opted to have their own space as it was perfect for throwing parties. Made evident from the dried vomit around the toilet bowl. <coughs> One of my then roomies was a girl from Texas. She was tall, skinny, and resembled a female during the Gatsby era. She was also the laziest person I'd ever met. The Wisp. The Wisp would eat endless bags of Doritos, bowls of crusty queso, and boxes upon boxes of Cheez-Its. I must admit, I was a little envious. She was an anomaly, 
A person who ate all the shite in the world never moved and yet her body fat was in the minus percentages. I'm not even sure if she ever got up to use the bathroom. I hope she did. Or maybe she was so thin her body was too afraid to release anything? The other was a Brit like me. Well, not exactly like me. He was a tremendously well-funded teeth-grinding cokehead. They say when you move to New York City, the city tests you. It will put you through more challenges than Frodo faced in search of Mordor. If you survive your first year here, you are on your way to becoming a real New Yorker. Oh, how I wish my first year had simply consisted of hobbits and elves. May I take that from you? I was so lost down memory lane that I hadn't even realized I'd finished my tea. Or would you like some more water for that? No, thank you. Oh my god, Liam! Boy, so great to see you. How you been? Liam hugged me as I stood up. Oh, I couldn't believe it, especially now. Good! This is so strange. I was just thinking about you in school. And, well, you know, my first apartment. Liam and I had been BFFs during my first year of acting school. He was a pretty boy type, big brown eyes and amazing hair. He could have been related to Ricky Martin. All right! <laughs> How could I forget? That was a horrible time for you. I'll go grab you another drink. On me. Liam picked up my cup and headed back towards the serving counter. His looks had only improved with age. He had filled out in the last couple of years. Everywhere. <laughs> Even in places I shouldn't be looking. Our relationship was once fluid, you may say. I could never tell if he was into me as in trying to get into my knickers whenever we shared a bed, or if he was gay. Well, gay, bi, queer, asexual, him, he, or they there, it didn't matter. He was an amazing bloke and had been a good friend to me during a pretty tough time. My first year in the city was not easy. I had no money, I shopped in cockroach-infested bodegas to eat and slept on bedding. Just bedding. It took me a while to save for a mattress. I worked several jobs to keep a roof over my head. It wasn't just the hustle that had been rough back then, and that to this day hadn't changed. It was my then living situation. The cokehead, who was responsible for paying our bills, never paid them. He had spent the money on. You got it. No matter the time of year, it snowed for him. And as he and the wisp were ahead of me at school, they left me all alone during the summer weeks to deal with our debts. And then there was the incident with my super. One day, I came home from school to realize I'd forgotten my keys that morning. I was locked out. So I texted my delightful roomies. Hi! Sorry to bother you, but I'm locked out. Are there spares anywhere? Luckily, the wisp responded within minutes. Tell the super. How do I do that? Do you have his number? Just go see him at his place. Where is his place? The basement. Bye. I traipsed down the stairs of all four floors. Once I finally reached the bottom of the stairs, I saw the fire exit door. I pushed it open and managed to prop it up with a handily put there plank of wood. I remember stepping outside into what appeared to be an overgrown garden. As I walked down five concrete steps, I noticed another door. I was convinced I was going to die amongst the weeds and eventually be eaten by rats that hadn't found any second-hand street pizza in a while. I not too bravely thumped on the door. I could hear music faintly coming from inside, as well as some commotion and indistinct voices. Moments later, the door opened. There. Standing in front of me was a heavyset Mexican man, stark fucking naked and holding a gun. I had never seen a gun before, and yet somehow 
I wasn't entirely distracted by the revolver being pointed in my face as I was still able to notice his incredibly small dick. Um, so sorry to bother you, but I appear to have misplaced my keys. Please may you help me? I could not have sounded more fucking British. To be fair, I was amazed I got any words out at all with all the things pointing at me. Sure, no problem. Give me a minute. And with that, he put the gun down and closed the door. He was quite polite, really. High as a kite, but lovely. Shortly later, the door opened again, and he emerged dressed in a white robe. I remember being very thankful and surprised he owned a robe. I mean, I don't own a robe. Who owns a robe and isn't Hugh Hefner? We walked back up the five concrete steps and into the apartment building. A few minutes of us huffing and puffing our way up the stairs, he then used the spare key to let me in. Because of the tiny love gun and the literal one, both of which were probably loaded, I was a little hesitant to ever call on the super again for help. Which is where Liam comes into the story. Liam often took the subway all the way uptown with me to make sure I got home safe after school. The part of town where my first digs was wasn't quite yet the hubbub of frat boys yet. You sure you're gonna be okay? You know you can sleep in my dorm for the night. We can smuggle you in. I'll be fine, I promise. Go home, and I'll see you tomorrow for our exam. You have to arise as a creepy man of the cloth, and I, a deluded yet violent housekeeper. We need our rest for these dramatic undertakings. I remember this evening as clear as day. I had kissed him on the cheek, said goodbye, and entered my building. The few weeks leading up to this, there had been an odd smell wafting throughout the building. Oh, I shudder now thinking about it. I have a metallic taste in my mouth. I remember telling myself a cat had gotten into the building and pissed on someone's welcome mat. It smelled worse than cat piss, though. I recall running up the stairs and the smell intensifying. I most likely wanted to vomit up the Ube bubble tea I always used to drink back then. The rancid smell went so far up my nostrils it started to ingrain itself into my brain and was now permanently stuck there. As I was about to turn my key, I noticed there were three flies flying and repeatedly bumping into my neighbor's door. I turned my key in such a haste that I practically fell into my apartment. I tried not to think about what these creepies meant. Sometimes, in New York, you have to pretend stuff isn't really happening. That night, I remember dreaming about digging up the body of a young woman. Her body was still fresh, and she looked as if she was sleeping. I started sniffing the air. After a deeper inhale, I vomited all over her dead corpse. I then woke up to a fly on my face. I swatted it away. Gross. Then I could smell it immediately. It was worse. You cannot describe it, as it's a smell unlike any other. It is almost as unique as death itself. I took my usual shower that morning and used all the strawberry jam shower gel I could after I sprayed an entire bottle of Paris Hilton perfume over my clothes in fear of smelling like corrosion. It's funny how you remember even the little events that lead up to those forever memories. I remember that I grabbed my keys along with my script for my exam play before I exited my home that morning. At first, I saw yellow and black, then brown, then a purplish green and then more black. There was police tape warning me not to enter right outside my door. It enveloped me like a cheap Halloween costume. I yanked it off my body as if it were a low-hanging cobweb. I then saw the gun lord sitting on the stairs, head in a bucket, vigorously vomiting. Amidst vomits, we made eye contact. I found them. I found them. He was pale. I don't know why I did it. I can't remember if a police officer said something, but I turned and looked into the apartment next door. I recall I covered my mouth with the bottom of my shirt as I stared vacantly, not blinking. 
I just took in the sight of my neighbor's leftovers. His old body, a purplish green yet marred with moving black spots. Except they weren't black spots, they were disgusting horseflies that were very much living life at the moment. Of course, I kept my composure, stiff upper lip and all that, and headed for school, patting the gun lord's back for some sort of comfort as I passed by him. Liam asked if I wanted to spend the night at his later that day as we left school. I said yes. I mean, whatever letter of the LGBTQ alphabet, I needed a cuddle that night. But I also needed my bloody contact lenses. Ugh. I wear dailies and we had our exam performance the following day. I was pretty sure they didn't have snazzy pink glasses in 1901. I had no choice but to go back to my apartment to grab my lenses. So Liam and I hopped on the six train uptown. Once there, I traipsed up the four floors alone. As I did, I noticed the flies were increasing. Some people had even adorned their doors with fly traps. When I got to my floor, I stuffed my face back into my shirt so I wouldn't swallow any other fuckers as I fumbled for my keys. The tape was still there. I opened the door to swarms and swarms of loitering and non-stop breeding flies. It reminded me of the Candyman horror films. I ran down the hallway as fast as I could, only stopping briefly to glance into my kitchen. My eyes that were buried in cloth were drawn to the window. The window was a sea of moving black. I batted several flies away and ran into my room. I grabbed my contact lenses and fled as quickly as I could. It wasn't until I passed the kitchen on the way out that I noticed the hallway floor and a crunching sound after every footstep. I looked at my feet to see billions of dead flies. Turns out flies don't have a long lifespan. Not in New York anyways. I wanted to scream, but couldn't. They say you no longer smell stenches after eight minutes of being in their presence. For the brief moments that I was inside the apartment, I forgot about the smell. Too deafened by the sound of buzzing and crunching. I have no idea how I didn't faint from shock and fear. I did manage to get out pretty quickly with everything I needed. I gave myself huge fucking props for that. Oh, if it hadn't been for Liam, I would have been homeless for the next month after that ordeal. Liam always looked after me. Ah, here he is, right on cue. I also got you one of our Linzer cookies. I remember you love those. What a night in a living la vida loca armor. Oh, come on! Next time on FUNYC, Llamas, Coats, and Alice. <laughs> Fucking Alice. FUNYC, an IDC production. Guest starring Gary Kahn, Mike Tricario, Liz Gutman.